like to make uh, two introductions to you today. The first person I'd like to introduce to you is Brian Bosworth. He's a formerly a linebacker for the University of Oklahoma Sooners. In 1985, he won a championship with them. He was the only linebacker to ever win the Best Linebacker Award in college football more than once. And so when people think about the greatest linebackers or defensive players uh, to ever play college football, he's near or at the top of the list. But the reason I want to tell you about Bosworth is he became more than just a great athlete. He was one of the first athletes to kind of take on this persona as athlete, as entertainer. So more than just a competitor, he became an entertainer. Uh, and he was known as the Boz. He took on this alter ego called the Boz, and he was like the man in the mid to late 80s. The Boz was Dennis Rodman before there was a Dennis Rodman. So he had the crazy hair, not as crazy as Rodman. He was like Dennis Rodman light. Um, he did what he wanted. He said whatever he wanted. He looked how he wanted. He was a big, thick, tough guy. He was the center of attention for better or for worse. And Bosworth came from a home where he didn't really have a strong fa father figure. And so when he went to the University of Oklahoma, Coach Barry Switzer became like a father to Bosworth. And Bosworth had the highest respect for Switzer, but ultimately Bosworth ended up disrespecting Switzer, his, his, his basically adopted dad. Um, so he came from 1985 leading the team to the national championship to ending his career by getting banned for steroids and wearing a shirt that said national, let's see, you read, uh, national communist against athletes. Against, and he, he wore that shirt on national TV because he was so fed up with the NCAA that he protested with a t-shirt of a game that he had to sit out and so Switzer had no choice but to kick him off the program, out of the team. He went on to only play a year and a half in the NFL before injuries forced an early retirement. And so then after football, he moved on to play roles in about a dozen, a dozen different movies. And he's still actually on your TVs today. Uh, he's in a Kia Sorrento commercial with Bo Jackson because they had a little bit of a, a thing back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, but that's another story for another day, him and Bo. The second introduction that I want to make to you is uh, the Corinthian church. And here's what we know of them from Acts and then from 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul planted this church. Acts 18 records the story of him coming to Corinth uh, after he passed through Athens. This is about 51 AD. And uh, he found a Jewish couple named Aquila and Priscilla and you might have known this, but Paul was a tent maker. Aquila and Priscilla were also tent makers. So together they made tents and hung out. Um, Paul worked full-time or at least part-time as a tent maker. He made a living that way. And then he went to the synagogue every Sabbath to reason with the Jews and explain to them that Jesus was in fact the Christ. Uh, some of the Macedonians heard that Paul was doing this. They wanted to support him, so they sent Silas and Timothy to meet up with Paul and to give them or to give Paul a financial gift so that he could quit making tents and become fully occupied with the ministry of the word. Uh, Paul's ministry to the Jews ended up with him being thrown out of the synagogue and then he went to the Gentiles. 
to the rest of the world, to the other people groups. And that's where his ministry in Corinth really flourished. But what's ironic to me is that the synagogue ruler, so the Jewish leader, became a believer after the Jews kicked him out of the synagogue. Crispus became a believer. And so Paul stayed there, invested in the church for a year and a half. And uh, even though the Jews continued to attack him, uh, even bringing him to the Roman court and uh, bringing a petty accusation against him that uh, he'd been disrupting the order of the society. And the court exonerated Paul. They let him off and said, this man's innocent. And then they beat up the new uh, Jewish synagogue ruler instead. So Paul departed Corinth after about a year and a half and stayed in Ephesus for about three years. And, and here's why this story matters, is because after he left them, Paul didn't leave the Corinthians to fend for themselves. He kept in touch with them. His calling wasn't to be a pastor and stay in one place, but to go and spread the good news around the world. So he didn't leave them to fend for themselves, though, because we see his correspondence with this people. And we don't have the very first letter or the first letters that Paul wrote, but we do have 1 Corinthians, which we're going to spend quite a bit of time in today in order to understand who this church was, who these people were. And so 1 Corinthians 5.9 shows us that Paul wrote them letters before 1 Corinthians. So we'll call this first letter Corinthians A so that we don't get confused with our first and second Corinthians. So in Corinthians A, Paul wrote to them about sexual immorality. And we know this because 1 Corinthians 5.9 says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And so Paul clarified that you can't associate with all sexual, you, can, you cannot not associate with all sexually immoral people because otherwise you'd have to leave the world to do that. What Paul means here is you can't associate with people who claim to be Christians and are living in sexual sin unrepentantly and they're not willing to change their behavior. So in his first letter, Corinthians A, we know that he wrote to them about sexual promiscuity and immorality. And then we know that the letter wasn't understood or it wasn't taken seriously because Paul received some information from the Corinthians about divisions. Chloe's household told him there was division, 1 Corinthians 1.11. And then more reports of sexual immorality, so they clearly didn't repent. And then others brought him a letter from the believers in Corinth, and they asked him a bunch of different questions. 1 Corinthians 7.1 says, now concerning the questions that you asked. And then, so he talks about marriage, he talks about food, they asked him about spiritual gifts, So in 1 Corinthians 1 through 4, he talks about division and kind of lays the groundwork. And then he just, boom, 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 is ask ask Apostle Paul time. And he answered all their questions. And that's what he did in Corinthians B. 1 Corinthians is what we know this letter as. So talked about division, sexual immorality, lawsuits, marriage, Christian freedom, how we should worship together as Christians, and the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. So, but here, here was really the heart of the matter was the Corinthians had all these wrong ideas because they followed the wrong leaders after Paul left. They, they wanted spiritual elitism. 
they wanted to become really spiritual and they began to look down on Paul, the tent maker who planted and started their church and their spiritual journey. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 18. Paul says, If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it's written, God catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. And then he goes on in the same line of thinking, showing the Corinthians that you're impressed with the wrong thing. You have a wrong view of yourself and a wrong view of God. Chapter four, verse eight, Paul says, already you're satisfied. Already you're rich. You've become kings without us. I wish you had become kings so that we could reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to die because we've become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. You are fools for Christ, or we are fools for Christ, but you're wise. Paul is reflecting their heart here. We are weak, the apostles, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present, we are hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, brutally treated, and without a roof over our heads. We do hard work, toiling with our own hands. When we're verbally abused, we respond with a blessing. When persecuted, we endure. When people lie about us, we answer in a friendly manner. We're the world's dirt and scum, even now. So he's showing that the Corinthians found the wrong things impressive and were therefore influenced by the wrong people. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. I don't write these things to you to make you feel ashamed, but to admonish you as my children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, all these people that the Corinthians wanted to follow, that they thought were impressive, you don't have many fathers, Paul said. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so he urged them to be imitators of him, as Paul was an imitator of Christ. And so in verse 17, he says, I send Timothy to you, or I sent Timothy to you, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I weren't coming to you. But Paul says, I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I'll find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a spirit of love or with love in a spirit of gentleness? So to sum up this longer passage, when I was a child and I misbehaved and my dad wasn't home yet, my mom would say, just wait till your dad comes home. And the fear of God would be in me. The fear of dad, really. Because those were words that would get me to shape up or I knew what was coming when dad came home. And sometimes when, when, when I was a good kid and dad came home, it was a sweet moment of hugging. But when I was bad, I didn't want dad to come home. And I'm sure that was the same way with many of you. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at here. It's time to shape up. I'm going to send Timothy to you to help you shape up. But if you don't shape up, dad's going to come and it's going to be time for a spanking. I'm going to come, with you, or I'm going to, come to you with a rod. Or... If you shape up, if you repent and change, I'm going to come in a spirit of love and gentleness. So Paul then deployed Timothy 
to Corinth to scout out the situation and be a representative of Paul and to help them change. And we don't know all the details of that, but it probably didn't go well because Paul changed his plans and went straight from Ephesus over to Corinth. That wasn't part of his plan. And we're going to see in 2 Corinthians that some people in Corinth point to Paul changing his plans here and say, you shouldn't follow him because he told us that he was going to come to us this way and he came to us that way instead. We can't trust him. But Paul came because he loved them and he couldn't stand to see them continue down the path that they were on. And this visit, it was a short visit, but it was, it's called a painful visit in 2 Corinthians 2. It didn't go well. It's not what Paul wanted and it's definitely not something that he wanted to do again. Then he went back to Ephesus and Paul wrote them what's called a severe letter. And we find Paul's reasoning for writing this severe letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I wrote as I did this severe letter that we don't have, Corinthians C, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of all of you. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So a good father only disciplines his children out of love. And he wrote this to test them to see, hey, are they going to be obedient or not? And so let's do a quick review. Paul planted the church in weakness, working part-time and then only working full-time on the generosity of someone else's gift. And he was also persecuted by the Jews. They kicked him out of the synagogue. But after a year and a half, he left the church, staying in touch with them. He heard they weren't obedient, so he wrote 1 Corinthians and sent Timothy. Then he heard that that wasn't working, so Paul himself came and made a short and painful visit. Then he wrote them a severe letter, and that's where 2 Corinthians picks up. Paul is revealing in the beginning of 2 Corinthians that he just can't wait to hear, how are they going to respond? Paul was brokenhearted when he wrote that severe letter to them, and he needs to see, how are they going to respond? Because my joy and their joy is tied together. But we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that even though Paul made them grieve with his letter, this is 2 Corinthians 7 verse 8 and 9, Paul doesn't regret it. He did regret it, because he didn't want to see them grieved, though it was only grief for a little while. But as it is, he rejoiced, not in their grief, but because their grief actually moved them into repenting. They felt a godly grief over their sin so that they suffered no loss through us. What that means is through Paul's leadership of them. So Paul was encouraged from their direction. They are finally moving towards change finally moving towards the transformation that Paul has been pleading with them to move forward. And that's the context of 2 Corinthians. What he's doing in 2 Corinthians is presenting an emotional appeal for the Corinthians to follow Paul because Paul is following Christ. And if you follow the wrong leader, you're going to go the wrong direction. 2 Corinthians 12, 19, Paul is summarizing what he's doing in the letter of 2 Corinthians. And he says, all this time throughout this letter, you've been thinking that we're defending ourselves, defending why you should follow me, Paul says. Actually, 
what we've been doing is inside of God, we've been speaking in Christ, and it's all been for your upbuilding. So Paul's not saying, hey, I'm defending myself, and I'm showing, showing you why you should follow me. But he says, in my defense of myself, I'm just upbuilding you. And so here's how Paul defended himself, and here's how uh, he built them up. And we're going to see this throughout the book. Paul's defense of his ministry, of his authority, and their upbuilding is found in power through weakness. That's the theme of 2 Corinthians. Christ's power through our weakness. And so instead of following people who seem to be impressive from the world's perspective, people who can speak really well, look really good, make you feel good, uh, Paul's encouraging them, hey, follow people who have suffered for you. Follow people who are faithful and above reproach in their words. Follow people who served you rather than asking you to serve them. Follow those who boast in their weakness. And in all that, become the type of person whom the Lord commends. You see, the Corinthians were a lot like Brian Bosworth. They came from humble beginnings. Then they began to think pretty highly of themselves, so much so that they left and disrespected their father figure. Whether it was Coach Barry Switzer or the Apostle Paul, they went on to disrespect their father figure by thinking that their strengths were strong enough to rely on. You know what happened to the boss after his time in the limelight? After he was forced to leave football? He was disowned by many of his teammates and the university he played for, and he became depressed. In his own words, he wanted to crawl into a hole and die during the whole decade of the 90s. His pain led him to depression and to the conclusion that he needed to quit trusting himself, and ultimately, he turned his life over to following Jesus. And now he has peace. Again, those are his words. He says, peace with a capital P. And if you want that kind of peace, and if you're convinced that Jesus is the only way, then tell him that today and tell somebody else. It doesn't mean that your life's going to get easier. In fact, I think it's safe to assume that it'll get harder because now you have two competing natures within you, one driving you towards God, the other keeping you, trying to drive you towards your selfish ambition that you've had all along, your sinful nature. But hard isn't necessarily bad, especially when you serve a God whose power is displayed through weakness. And the Corinthians, their story shows us that you can actually be a Christian and still be living like the boss, living like life is all about you, wanting to be the center of attention, wanting to impress people. And Paul was warning the Corinthians that going down this self-reliant path would lead them to a devastating and painful end, just like the boss went through pain in the 90s. And they'd miss out during that time on the fullness of life that Christ came to bring. So you might look okay on the outside, just like the Corinthian church might have seemed impressive from the outside. You might be able to convince some people around you of how great a parent you are, how great an employee, how knowledgeable you are of God's word, how spiritual you are in conversation. But if your heart is about impressing people rather than blessing people, you've missed it the same way the Corinthians did. So one of the questions they asked Paul in 1 Corinthians was, about spiritual gifts. And Paul addresses spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, and then in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, 
he says, I'll show you the most excellent way. It's the way of love. And then in chapter 14, Paul says, pursue the spiritual gifts, but do it following the way of love. Because the Christian life is not about impressing people, it's about blessing people. Blessing people is done for the glory of God, for the good of your neighbor. Impressing people is done for your own glory, your own good, your own attention. Impressing people is living just out of your strengths so that you'll look good. People will think highly of you. Blessing is living out of strengths and weaknesses so that God gets the credit and other people get the benefit. So let's look at some application. How can we be a blessing? Well, let's start at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can only be a blessing when we stay connected to the blessed, the blessed one. You become like who you hang around. So hang around God, spend time with him every day, spend time with his people who are committed to being a blessing. It will, over time, rub off on you, and you'll begin to understand what it means to bless and not to impress. The second application is remember that you are just as needy now as when you first believed. The, the Corinthians seemed to move on from Paul. There was something that happened between Acts 18 and 1 Corinthians. I don't know exactly what happened or how long it took to happen, but they moved on from the tent maker and they began to be tempted to follow more spiritual leaders, more spiritual in their eyes, that led them down the wrong path. Their lives indicated that they didn't need the Jesus Paul proclaimed like they once said they did. And I think there's a similar temptation for us. I mean, Jesus saves us from all of our sin. He rescues us from hell. And so if I've trusted Jesus, I know I'm rescued from the penalty of my sin. And so even though I know there's some things I should be doing or some ways I should be changing more, I don't really need to do anything else. That's a mindset that it's pretty easy to get into, but that's a very dangerous mindset. And I know because I've been there personally. It's using Jesus as a means to the end. But Jesus isn't the means to the end. He's actually the end himself. He didn't just came to give us what we need. He came to give us who we need. Being needy doesn't sound powerful, but when Jesus is your need, it's very, very powerful. We're just as needy now as when we first believed. We need him to lead us. And he has fully saved us. We still need to remember that he saved us and to live like he saved us. The third application from this story is that the early church was messy. I, I used to think, oh man, the church in Corinth was really messy. And then I got more into reading the other books of the Bible and they were all messy. The Old Testament, the people of God, they were messy. Their relationships were a mess. But relationships are essential. The church is essential and so it's messy, but essential. And so what that means for us is that you move in to the mess and you trust that God is going to make us purified. He's going to make us clean in the midst of what can be messy. And the purpose of our relationships 
is not just to say that we're in the mess because we're supposed to be. No, it's to become like Jesus. It's to work through it. So the church is messy, but it's essential. And that's what God uses to draw us towards Christ and to become like Christ. That's the reason that he's put us in relationships is to become like Christ. In relationships, you'll feel weakness in some way. Maybe for you, it's when you start a relationship. Maybe for you, it's how do I deepen a relationship? How do I maintain a relationship? How do I know which relationships to invest in? You'll feel weakness, but that's where God's power is available. And I think it's also important to remember that change often takes place over time. Investment over time. How many visits did Paul make? At least three to Corinth. How many letters? Four letters. We're all changing all the time, but what are we changing into? Your relationships will answer that question. And why your relationships are what they are, it'll answer that question. The fourth and last application is that we must press into our weakness and not avoid them. That's how you're a blessing. Terry Williams said that people are challenged by your strengths and encouraged by your weakness. So live out of strengths and weaknesses. When Paul mentioned weakness, he was referring to hardship, humiliation, and persecution. We'll talk about all those more as we go through this book. But hardship is circumstances, humiliation is internal, and persecution is from someone else. And being in a church plant, there is going to be weakness that you feel. There's going to be work that always needs to be done. But the, the most important work is the work that flows out of our relationship to God. It's the work of relationship to God and relationship with other people. And so if God's called you here, he's call, calling you to play a role in his work. And so, like, for example, when I was thinking about the work and our weakness, we're all called to evangelism. We spent our first five weeks on the Great Commission. And if you feel weak in what it takes and what it looks like to share your faith with uh, someone else who might or might not want to hear it, that's good. That's okay to feel weak. We're still called to do it. If you feel weak in a change of the season of life that you're going through, maybe you're becoming a parent for the first time or becoming a parent of two or three or becoming a grandparent for the first time or going through changes at work, press into your weaknesses. If you realize that all the people who you have in your life are like you, um, then relate to someone who's different from you. We've got to press into our weaknesses because they're not going away. God wants to use them to put his power on display. And finally, I want you to think about Jesus. He is the all-powerful one who came in weakness. And even though no one is more impressive than him, he sought to bless and not to impress people. The miracles, they weren't to impress, they were to bless. He displayed his power through weakness primarily, coming as a babe, living a life without a claim, living a perfect life that was under, misunderstood, not only by his closest friends, but also by his enemies. He was misunderstood. He died a brutal death. And ultimately, his resurrection and his ascension back into heaven displayed his power, but first his power was displayed in weakness.
So let's pray together. Talk to God about your life. How have you been sensing your need for him? Commit to being a blessing to others, not to impressing others. We want to stay connected to you, God, the blessed one.